0: So in researching for this episode, I came across uh, an article on the, on the Dizine mm-hmm. with a, a provocative title, the usual champagne socialist pomposity of Venice has been drowned out by a newfound openness. Right. And I was thinking from, I mean, what, from what I've, what does s- that mean? Yeah. I guess it's people who are tired of Aravana. Yeah. Like I sympathize with that. <laughs> I mean, we covered the previous uh, Biennale from a distance, also, and I don't remember any particularly socialist content. But the I,
1: I don't. I'm having a hard time imagining anyone having a notion of the Venice Biennale being like taken over by socialists of any kind. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, yeah, there there is this uh, post 2016 sort of attempt to uh, like make the biennale political like a political slash progressive kind of veneer yeah within which obviously the current one inserts itself so i find it confusing
0: yeah but i thought it, it it contrasted nicely with uh uh a passage I read describing a new facet introduced to this year's Biennale. This is from Wallpaper. Quote, Complementing the main shows, a new Venice architecture Biennale feature will be launched titled Carnival. This will include lectures, discussions, film and performances crucial in drawing in the public and enhancing the dialogue between architecture and the world conceived as a space of liberation Rather than a spectacle or entertainment, Carnival offers a space for communication in which words, views, perspectives, and opinions are traded, heard, analyzed, and remembered, Loco said at the recent Biennale press conference. Carnival is supported by Rolex, the exclusive partner and official <laughs> timepiece of the exhibition.
1: <laughs> I mean, I was already before that going to go like, yeah, nothing says, like, what's the opposite of a champagne social? It's Like, uh, grassroots proletarian socialists more yeah. than like <laughs> are like do, doing political liberation through the vehicle of an art performance yeah um but uh yeah that that extra one
0: yeah yeah is from, pretty good champagne socialist to rolex liberator <laughs> <laughs> Sweet yeah,
1: welcome back. Uh, finally, uh, very late episode, um, probably very long episode.
0: Yeah, last time we set off to uh, cover the Biennale, Venice Biennale uh, of 2023, and we realized that it was leading us into larger discussions that we also promised to cover uh, regarding uh, anti colonial architecture, architecture of the third world. Yeah. Um, that were raised by a, a patron question, right? So we thought, why don't we just wrap these discussions into one long, uh, hefty discussion?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So this is going to be one of those like longer, more academic, more theoretical <laughs> um, and historical episodes, uh, more or less. Um, more nutritious. More nutritious. <laughs> more veggies. But
0: hey, we talked about Star Star Trek last time. Yeah, so I hope we will like all about the, balance.
1: The, 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 the Star Trek thingy we did in the meantime. But um, <laughs> yeah, essentially, we, we, we couldn't really satisfactorily address uh, this Venice Biennale without talking about the wider subject that yeah. we've been thinking about for a while. I have a lot of material on. Mm-hmm. on architecture of, like, decolonization, the, all, all of the current discourses on decolonizing architecture and knowledge and curriculums and stuff, and uh, the history of the architecture of of uh, what you would call either the third world or the global south. We'll get into that. Yeah, we'll talk about that,
0: those those terms.
1: Um, yeah, and so instead of spending too much time talking about Biennale, we're, we're going to use it as a way of, like, entering this broader discussion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, with all of the like which seem to be like just underneath the surface of the debates that are undergoing about the biennale and its presentation
0: yeah so shall we i mean we sort of assume that uh everyone listening to this has some sense (laughs) of what the current architecture biennale is all about right um, but should we cover some of the curator's statement?
1: Yeah, let's say like we should introduce to an biennale, like as it introduces itself. Yeah, for a start, right?
0: So the title is the Laboratory of the Future, and this is the curator's statement when the title and theme were uh,
1: publicized last year. That's the most generic title in the history of titles.
0: It's a very generic title,
1: Laboratory of the Future. Yeah, it, it's it's. Ju-
0: anyway. How many grad programs, generic grad yeah. progr- programs in architecture schools have yeah. laboratory of the future yeah. in, the, in the name? It doesn't
1: um, seem to suggest in any way what everyone knows is the specificity of this. Yeah, yeah. so this is,
0: this is how uh, Leslie Loco explains the title. She says it operates on several levels. Mm-hmm. Firstly, Africa is the laboratory of the future, We are the world's youngest continent with an average age half that of Europe and the United States and a decade younger than Asia. We are the world's fastest urbanizing continent, growing at a rate of almost 4% per year. She goes on to discuss some of the unique characteristics of Africa in the global context, um, how climate change affects Africa, and she's basically positioning Africa as... Itself, the laboratory of the future, or that somehow, like the future is is um, going to be shaped largely by Africa, right? Uh, which I think is a an interesting yeah.
1: Uh, Although framing like is Africa the laboratory of the future, or is the Biennale the yeah, laboratory of the future? Yeah,
0: and that's that's the ambiguity.
1: Is the Biennale the laboratory on. of the future, of the laboratory of the future that is Africa?
0: Yeah. Uh, so that's the second the second. Theme. Secondly, uh, La Biennale di Venezia itself is also a kind of laboratory of the future, a time and space in which speculations about the discipline's relevance to this world and the world to come take place. She goes on to talk about the choice of the word laboratory, and she connects it to uh, some philosophy. She does some etymology. Uh, that the word laboratory comes from workshop. Uh, she doesn't make any political argument about the role of labor here, which is maybe a mercy.
1: <laughs> I guess. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Workshop, the word Richard Sennett. Mm-hmm. The definition of the word workshop, from which the word laboratory stems, deepens the concept of collaborative endeavor. Oh, uh, okay.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's the usual kind of mm-hmm. usual etymology spiel. spiel. Collaborative. Um, then I think uh, the most interesting and controversial problematic part of the statement. Um, She goes on. In the aftermath of the American Civil War, Booker T. Washington, an ex-slave, conceived a project in which freed slaves recovering from slavery would leave home, train at two model institutions, the Hampton and Tuskegee Institutes, Mm -hmm. and return to their home communities. Importantly, during this temporary relocation, cooperation would be forged by direct experience and daily contact with one another as equals. So, this reference to Booker T. Washington immediately made me think of uh, criticisms by Adolf Reed Jr. Yeah, uh, for whom, and this is part of a larger debate, like left debate, on yeah. the historical role of Booker yeah. T. Washington. Yeah, um, and Reed is extremely critical.
1: It's not just Reed, like there's a, a like a, a yeah, there's a larger of literature, like Black American revolutionaries. Uh, revolutionary theorists and ideologues and, po- and people in politics, activists in politics
0: yeah, and just who, historians yeah also yeah yeah
1: who are who, are, who study the com- problematic class dynamics internal to black politics in america mm-hmm. and Booker T. Washington is not a good reference
0: <laughs> no, I mean, Reed and other historians are explicit about Booker t washington's pro capitalist approach to yeah, uh, economic non-transformation, right? Basically, like becoming rich within capitalism, right. Without challenging the structure, right. uh, of, of society, right. So if you if you want, we can recommend uh, an article by uh, by Adolf Reed on this Bookerism and the Black Elite Managing Race Relations from Above, on the New Republic or newrepublic.com
1: Check that out. That's from when.
0: That's from 2020.
1: Okay So it's fairly recent.:
0: Yeah, the basic punchline is that uh, this model is about basically it's not about structurally changing the political economy in which race is constructed, right. but about managing it and about replacing one set of managers with another set of managers. We, we may We may come back to this to this question, but I think the the, the key kind of flag raised by this reference to Washington uh, in the statement goes back to what we were, what we were talking before about the laboratory. Yeah. That this is a distinctly kind of, uh, professional managerial
1: approach. Yeah. Uh,
0: so yeah, problematic.
1: A little bit. (laughs) I mean, it's a problematic reference to make in an unproblematized fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Given the existing literature.
0: Yeah. The curator, Leslie Loco, um, herself, uh, Ghanaian Scottish architect, um, She's also listed as an educator. Right. Which is kind of a a euphemism we've noticed.
1: Yeah. I I (laughs) love when, I love I hate, by love I mean hate when the word educator appears. Everyone is saying educator now. There's nothing to do about this specific thing. But it's like...
0: No, it's a trend.
1: Yeah. Like everyone defines themselves as an educator in their bio now. Like if you have a one-liner bio when you're in academia, educator is in there. Yeah. And I fucking hate it. Why don't you say teacher?
0: I, I would say, I will say that, I mean, I say teacher, but I always feel a bit like I'm stealing valor when I tell somebody, especially just in conversation, like, what, what do you do? do? I'm a teacher. Mm. I feel like I'm, I'm uh, there's a certain kind of like embeddedness in the community that a teacher has. Right. Like teacher a, like teacher a is like a school a teacher or a high school yeah.
1: teacher that deals with like teaches children.
0: Yeah. And is dealing with social problems in a more immediately. Yeah. Immediate if way. you're
1: like you're in the bubble of academia you you, you yeah. don't qualify as a you're not a real it's like a phd you're not a real doctor
0: yeah so i feel i feel a bit awkward saying teacher as right. well um but yeah educator it i mean it's it's it, it it sort of suggests that you're you're doing largely kind of entrepreneurial uh managerial administrative stuff mm. like getting grants and proposing projects it doesn't really suggest any like student contact and and like
1: i mean i teaching i (laughs) I see a lot of people who are teachers and who have a lot of student contact use the word educator instead of teacher okay um and i think that there's like an ideological angle there of like teaching is bad now like you're not supposed to like just be hired as a teacher because you know stuff that students don't and then you tell them and now they do know the stuff (laughs) That's yeah, like, that's
0: like hierarchical. That's
1: hierarchical and bad. Instrumental. Yeah. So now the the relativist postmodern angle is uh like you you're facilitating a facilitator of learning. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. actually teach anybody anything. Yeah. um Which of course, like I mean, I mean we know we know even institutions in London that are having debates within the history and theory departments of like maybe we shouldn't teach any content and just tell students write about whatever you want and all yeah. we do is tutorials. We don't. There's no more lectures. There's no more delivery of material.
0: Yeah, educator seems like a, like a some in some sense like a career progression above teacher, but it, in practice, it seems to suggest a de-skilling of teachers as well, and a kind yeah. of like, um, yeah,
1: yeah. But I think you're right. I think your point on the entrepreneurial character of educator is is really good because there's like this, like the educator because this 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 whole thing is about by like academics being researchers and uh thought leaders and innovators and blah 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 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the educator suggests also that it, you're not really educating your students at least not only per se right, you're like right. you're educating broader society right right you're yeah. you're like you're you're uh you're like a progressive thought leader mm-hmm. who is uh Teaching, uh, sorry, educating the world, society, and, this, and and including maybe educating the ruling class. Mm-hmm. If as much as you, I mean, if you call yourself an educator, you probably don't recognize the existence of one. Um, you are educating the system on like how to be- best make, make do do things from now on, right? Yeah, 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 and. If we're looking at it from the perspective of Booker T Washington, educator has a particularly problematic even like extra extra Yeah, level you get there. that like, class class angle. Yeah, in like there. the elite the elite of the oppressed group educates the rest of the oppressed group into like being yeah, pacified basically
0: and manages the the yeah. overall contradiction yeah. yeah. without structurally changing anything.
1: But anyway, educator is just a creepy word for me in general. Yeah. Everywhere yeah. I see it.
0: She she taught Architecture um, in the UK, in America, in South Africa, and recently has opened uh, the African Futures Institute in Accra, Ghana. Mm-hmm. A new architecture school offering an MARC. Interestingly, she's also a published novelist, right? Um, which is kind of an unusual, yeah, unusual thing.
1: I mean, th- she definitely like has a published novelist who published like how many books? Ele- Twelve novels. Yeah, that's a lot. I think at this point. point, yeah. first one was in, like Wikipedia says, first one in 2004. So right. that's, that's a, a, a nice pace of production. Yeah. It's like once every two years, there's a novel.
0: And from what I can tell, these novels are not like Italo Calvino. They're not architecturalized. Right. It's not architectural no, fiction.
1: She, she, she functions clearly within that logic of like the architect who made it in an adjacent field. Although mm. she's also made it in the in the actual I, yeah, it I, seems
0: like she was teaching at the same time yeah, as writing. She's
1: actually yeah. making it within architectural academia, but it's like the link to the cultural market in this case, literature. It's she yeah. could be in the in the this is, uh, in the book by uh, architects after architecture. <laughs> for sure, for sure, yeah, for sure.
0: But this is also, and she herself says that she kind of got she she characterized. Her own literature as kind of like B B list literature okay. somehow. Um, and she, from the description on on Wikipedia, there's a quotation from an article in the Scotsman. Right. Uh, quote: What Loco writes is glam lit with <laughs> women in high flying, exciting jobs who jet around the globe, rubbing shoulders and other parts with devious men from the upper ranks of society in twisting intelligently spun tails. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an intense like class vibe and kind of like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Upper middle class and above. Yeah. Vibe to upper whole. middle
1: class aspiring to above. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an important issue we'll have to raise as we talk about this, like with the, the, the class character and dynamic or, oh, the class character of the dynamics of uh, representing the aspirations of the third world slash global south in, in, in uh, first world institutions like the Venice Biennale, obviously, yeah, yes.
0: Yeah, So I think implied in the, despite the, the nice point that, you know, in some sense, Africa, the continent, is the laboratory of the future, the argument is really that Biennales and in institutions like this are the place where thought leaders, creatives gather to experiment on the future right um, so it's a I think it's a kind of a, a double-edged yeah uh, kind of framing
1: yeah so now obviously that's one of the major themes that we're gonna have to discuss and it's a very tricky and complicated one um,
0: and I just, I th- I, just just to say and it's the same the same issue we discussed last time we talked about the Biennale, right uh, which is and the same time same discuss same topic we always discuss yeah. covering architecture which is really the ambiguity of architects, the political ambiguity of architects in their relationship to class society, to development, to capitalism and so forth. So this is just gonna be- Yeah, uh,
1: specifically because and through the class character of the architect themselves. Yeah,
0: and the kinds Uh, of institutions they've developed
1: in the contemporary era. Yeah, Yeah. of course themselves conditioned by broader political economic conditions. And, and this all comes to a
0: head post two thousand eight. Yeah, post
1: yeah. So, yeah. I guess that in, as we g- look through this material, a lot of what we will what will become obvious is that much of the critiques that we had of the twenty sixteen um, Biennale and of the twenty eighteen Biennale is that the twenty nineteen the twenty nineteen I got all the dates confused now because of the COVID. It's confused. Yeah, all that's things. right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Whatever, we, we the never, last one. <laughs> we never actually directly cover the 2016. We just refer it uh, yeah, constantly yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, because it was kind of an ideological sort of turning point. And uh, the, 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 the previous one. Yeah. Um, a lot of the key issues that we identify there are still here. Mm-hmm. But this time with a kind of a geopolitical... Uh, with a geopolitical layer on top of it, which makes it somewhat more complicated to talk about, because we're Mm -hmm. talking about a Biennale that presents itself as finally sort of bringing the issue of decolonization and putting the global to to the forefront of this institution and uh, uh, bringing like proper representation of the aspirations of uh, the global south but on the table and but we, but the, the ambiguities and contradictions of the architectural role in dealing with society and with social aspirations in general yeah. uh, remain. Yeah. They don't cease to be because we're not talking about Africa and Latin America and South Asia, right? Uh, and in many ways, it, uh, the, it's even kind of uh, more, it becomes more complicated to, to work through them when we're talking about that being represented in the first world, institution of architecture, like a, as a like the prestige center of yeah. like sh- champagne, uh, pe- people of various kinds that bring champagne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In uh in the first world and how they talk about architecture, the center of polite architectural polite society, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean there there's two. I think this relates to the the, the main. This is going to be a big part of how we respond to the main debate or debates that are going on around this. Uh, I've run into essentially two big topics of contention about this Biennale. The first is, of course, Patrick Schumacher said something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then people said things about that. Yeah. Uh, The second one is the presence in Venice at the same time, um, although not within the Biennale, not as official part of the Biennale, of an exhibition about Saudi Arabia's NEOM Linear City project. Right. Right? And these are two, like, sort of positions, NEOM and Schumacher, that appear as a sort of enemies of the, this Biennale, or yeah. like in contradiction with it. Mm-hmm. That um, that are kind of interesting to explore. They're th- so let's 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 start with Schumacher, right? Okay. Um, I showed you some of the stuff. Um, I, you read the. I read his letter. You read his yeah. letter. Yeah. Yeah. So his letter kind of interesting because obviously it was immediately published everywhere, more or less. Like, this is what Schumacher said, and that therefore this is news.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think there's there's something interesting. I mean, Schumacher is very, very skilled at fr- framing the debate that he wants to have. Yeah. Uh, and there have been a lot of criticisms of the things he leaves out from his discussion and blah, blah, blah. Right. But he's hit a nerve, uh, some sort of a structural nerve here, um, partly yep. because he's representing, he's claiming to represent uh, like a kind of silent majority. Mm-hmm. And in some sense, uh, professionally speaking, in the West, at right. least as far as we know,
1: he is. I yeah. think Yeah. This is a this is a typical problem of the um, And you can say exactly that's bad true.
0: because he's representing like the mainstream institutions of architecture, or like some sort of professional uh, business side of architecture.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course, the Venice Biennale is a mainstream institution of architecture. But it, is, it has been presenting itself as like an attempt to become an al- representing alternative, alternatives to the mainstream since 2016. But, uh, yeah, th- yeah. And
0: that, that gets to the tension between like the professional side and the academic exactly. disciplinary side. So exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. So uh, Schumacher is saying basically the Venice Biennale doesn't have any buildings. Right. It doesn't really have anything that you could like look at and identify clearly as this is architecture. And this is a problem, says he. Uh, he talks about lots of topics. He very smartly doesn't actually take any position regarding the topics themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't do what a lot of people uh, ostensibly agreeing with him in comments and shit do, which is, yeah, this identity politics shit and representation and blah, 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 is taking over them, destroying the field. He doesn't say any of that. He, he says, yeah. uh, uh, these architects are overly focused about a discursive part, a kind of architecture as some kind of discourse about the social ills of the world, and don't actually engage with those ills in a specifically architectural manner. That's essentially what he's saying. Like, there is no actual architecture there. He's not complaining that there is social issues on the table explicitly. He's complaining that there's no architecture dealing with them. Mm-hmm or that they not dealt with them through architecture, but through a kind of discourse slash arty. Can I, can I read a, a passage from go, his go, letter?
0: Go. Uh, his letter is called Venice Biennale Blues, <laughs> uh, and around halfway, halfway down, um, he says, quote, is my conception of architecture as a discipline too narrow if I expect to see architectural design in an architecture Biennale? I don't think so. Whatever social, political, or moral issues we want to address, the way to show their relevance to architecture
1: is via projects that claim to respond to these issues. There you go. So he's not saying what a lot of people agreeing with him then say. Um, but that, I mean, we or all can
0: read... people who want to disagree with him read into what he's saying.
1: Yes, and yeah. we can possibly read between the lines, but... I think we should. <laughs> <to a certain laughs> we probably extent. should read between the lines. And
0: we know what he said about these political issues in the past.
1: yes. Yeah, um, but he uh, ju- ju- just again to make the point that Patrick Schumacher deserves cred for like being at the forefront of this faction because he's by far the smartest one. <laughs> he's just good, <laughs> right? He's good. He's he doesn't. He, there's no faux pas here. This is a very well written letter. Um, but the main pro- pro- problem that we have with the letter. Is obviously that we kind of think that he's right to a significant extent.
0: Yeah, and, I, and from what I've seen in, far, uh, in terms of reactions to his letter, people on the left are agreeing with it in right. a way that they don't u- usually agree with his right. his uh, arguments. So he's yeah he's skillfully kind of pitching this in a politically neutral way uh, in in such a way that you could. Uh, like he's 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 pitching it as a as an in, interdisciplinary professional debate about right. architecture, right. with politics uh, kind of crossing that axis in a perpendicular right. way. Right, right.
1: So he's not saying there shouldn't be any politics in architecture or social concerns in architecture or moral issues in architecture. He's just saying that they should be in architecture.
0: They should be architecturalized when
1: when 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 we're talking about architecture, and to a degree like obviously i mean it, it's complicated for us because we constantly make the point that the broad structural issues impose themselves on architecture and architecture doesn't solve them but tends to reproduce them like there's no like architectural design solution out of the structural uh, issues that exist today as they are politically economically defined and only a political uh, struggle and yeah. uh, an economic transformation will allow for an architecture that then articulate solutions to the problems. Architecture is not going to invent the solutions. But th- th- this doesn't mean that architects can't develop uh, attempts at like, how, how, what would the solutions be and look like yep. if they were politically, economically, broadly allowed to, to, to then be implemented. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of uh, examples in the past of architects inventing kind of architectural solutions to problems that exist then, but which conditions for application do not yet exist.
0: Yeah, and then there's a critical conversation to be had about them after the fact. Yeah, um, exactly. To understand what contr- what contradictions they introduce yeah. by trying to solve yeah. problems yeah.
1: in that way and blah blah. Yeah. So we 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 the the critique we tend to make, for example, around the 2016 Biennale, around like these these are architectures appearing as solutions to social problems. Is that they are actually not addressing the social problems at the core level. They are not proposing technical solutions to the problems. They are attempting to utilize the problems in a way that makes sense to the market conditions today and like dialectically turn them into some sort of like surplus value within mm-hmm. market conditions, right? Yeah. So when we critique uh, assemble, uh, the Assemble project for making, which is one of the best ones because it actually refurbished like ha- homes of industrial working-class people that are... In uh, Liverpool, yeah. In, yeah, who, that were radically uh, abandoned by society and the economists in stature. Um, it still did it through basically getting them to produce cultural knickknacks with a kind of... Uh, uh, where, which used precisely their uh, identity as working-class people as a source of, like, sort of surplus... like a marketing surplus value to su- sell some knickknacks at the Tate. In London, right. and then use that like artisanal. Uh, yeah,
0: it ends up having a, a, a neo colonial kind of character. Yeah, In obviously, the context of, obviously. Of,
1: uh, of class society in Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, like, so the, the. But at least, and here I would take Schumacher's side, we are dealing with people doing an architecture. But already there, the problem is that the solution that the architect is coming up with is not really, it has architecture, but it's not an architectural solution. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of like business managerial, entrepreneurial solution for which architecture sort of presents a kind of cultural uh, like…
0: Vague cultural agency.
1: Yeah. Which allows it which is important and part of the solution because it allows it to be sold in the culture markets, yeah. and the, it's the culture markets that come and save working class housing, yeah, whereas obviously the history of the decline of working class housing is related to the abandonment of the actual productive side of the economy and its replacement with the services economy of which the culture markets is part of the like pyramid scheme yeah. mechanism, yeah for sure so so what we would say is, architects should just like know how to design h- actual proletarian housing, housing for people, and uh, fight for a left labor government, yeah, you know, socialist government, whatever. Yeah. That would then give you the funds to build it. <laughs> um, it but there's a,
0: there's a real structural challenge here, which I think we're going to come back to, which is like, if you don't have British councils building council housing, right, it's pretty it's pretty hard to represent the successes of British architecture yeah. in a biennale when there are no successes.
1: <laughs> yes, basically. at least not for ordinary people. You can present successes of British architecture in a way that would satisfy Patrick Schumacher because he yeah. is not concerned about uh, the social consequences of architecture. Yeah. He, so th- th- there for sure is examples of successful good British architecture that Patrick Schumacher would like to see represented at the Biennale, uh, as he's developed this notion of kind uh, of architecture for architecture's sake, um, which I guess would have some social functionality in a strictly neoliberal sense of uh, like it, it promotes the Elon Musk vision of development, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, or the Mark and the Zuckerberg. Future. Version. Yeah, uh, that's the
0: other critique I've heard of his letter, which is like he's talking about buildings, but he's just designing metaverse. Yeah, nonsense. and
1: that's that's the other key point in <laughs> Schumacher's uh, letter rant, which is obviously this is a dude that was part of the first generation of architecture moving away from social utility, complaining about the second generation of architecture moving away from social utility. Yeah. The trend, the architectural trend that he's a part of, that's the, like the radical architecture of the 70s, started off by detaching itself from real production in, the, in a welfare state, although declining, context into experimental, laboratorial, artistic, and highly discursive practices that are exactly what he's here critiquing of. That is where he comes from. Mm-hmm. That is where his architecture comes from. Zaha is a direct product of the highly discursive, artistic, uh, autonomous architecture separated from social utility and building.
0: Yeah, and she was a she was an artist first. Basically, yeah. she was a painter. Yes, and then the painting was, over time, architecturalized in different ways.
1: Yes, at the same time that our architecture was was. Visual artified as an institution yeah. over over the same period of time, yeah. um, and like even the fact that we were we were making fun of Schumacher in the, in the last episode on how he um, literally admits that he uses AI to right. like basically tells AI AI um, do me. Uh, like a drawing drawing uh, image or a billion images of museum in the style of Zahadid architects. Yeah. Uh, and then ta- looks at that and picks, mixes some of them, processes that into more and uh, then picks picks one and turns that into an actual project, which I, which obviously transparently demonstrates that his notion of what counts as architecture is already very, very thinly separated from what would be a visual art. And of course this is just, this is a, a, a trend that has been going on since the 1970s, which is endemic and structural to architecture functioning in the neoliberal stage of capitalism, which is architecture detaching itself from use value and being entirely defined by uh, exchange value. If architecture is defined by exchange value to produce profits in a sort of what you can call sometimes like fictional profit, uh... Uh, logic of financialized capitalism. Then use values are unnecessary. You don't need people to live in there. And if you don't need people to live in there, you, sell to, you need to sell it at an increased rate. The most important thing about architecture is its own marketing. So he's complaining now about a moment in time when the collapse of the construction market reached a certain point that the, there is a re-interrogation and the re-laboratorization and re discursivization of architecture that has been going on since 2008. Um, because there's just not enough money in the market that he had access to, to the newcomers. But, the new, but our critique would be that the newcomers are basically repeating the same mistake that mm-hmm. Patrick Schumacher himself and his generation did.
0: Yeah, the new generation are students of, of Schumacher, effectively. They they grew up in the institutions that were created by that earlier generation, and the political conditions haven't yet come about to change those institutions right. uh, in any structural or fundamental way. But the interesting uh, intersection of his comment of his critique of the his like disciplinary critique on the lack of architecture, with the politics, uh, is there and it was taken up by our friend Doug, right, Doug Spencer. But just to quote again from Schumacher's letter, um, he asks of the absence of architecture: Is the design and construction of buildings only an occasion for bad conscience? Is this bad conscience the motive force behind the refusal? by now pervasive for more than a decade, to display any contemporary architecture whatsoever. So he's he's basically asking, like, is there no architecture because, being displayed, because of the political critique of contemporary architecture? Like the critique of him, his contemporaries, of successful firms, of the neoliberal real estate economy and all the rest of it. Like, is it just that, that critique is so successful that no one can display anything uh, with any sense of like good good conscience because it's all bad, right? right? It's all right. it's all right. destructive. Right.
1: Yeah. This is um. This is at the core of Doug's. It's just a little tweet that Doug makes in reply to someone, uh, where Doug Spencer just simply says, "Why can architecture only assume a progressive appearance?" by not dealing with architecture in an everyday and practical sense. Right. So obviously this is a kind of a a sort of a reverse positing of the same question Schumacher is asking. Um, And that's, I mean, I I think it's what you're, it's what you're saying is is part of it. Yeah, like you can't present as good what, like the successes of architecture anymore. No one believes it. You can't show some like, big ass shapey building that counts as a success of architecture for the, from the point of view of architectural, uh, of the architectural business side and it being perceived as like progress for humanity or something. Yeah. No, one's going to buy it anymore. That's a complete lack of credibility of this architecture, uh, environment. Um, but at the same time, there is also a like a business side to this in the in what we've discussed several times already on the systematic separation between the business of architecture practice and the business of architecture culture. Um, so the people who exist in the academic frameworks that are connected are increasingly connected to the cultural markets and not the construction markets. Um, And that is, in many ways, why star architecture sort of ceased to be as an operative category. Because star architecture is kind of, by definition, a coincidence of prestige between uh, what is being done in the offices and what is being taught in academia. It's when polite society, high-brow culture, agrees with what... and and relates and identifies with what is being done commercially. And that's simply not true anymore. And that's not true because, as we said before, the, the, the crash of 2008 created an unbridgeable gap between the two. Uh, th- th- there's a lack of architecture jobs. There's a lack of command uh, of uh, the, the increasingly more monopolized sector. Uh, less people have access to it. And so academ- academia, in order to justify selling architecture degrees, pushes people into kind of a um, cultural entrepreneurship model that does not lead into architecture offices, but into like galleries and uh, whatever. And when, so, of when, course... When,
0: yeah, when, when, the, when the like external uh, business environment of the architectural profession, of the construction sector, and I guess the role of the professional architect within the construction sector is positive and healthy or whatever, mm-hmm. then there's no reason for a contradiction between academia yeah. and the profession. Yeah. Uh, Though that relationship is rationalized, Um, professional work is the obvious market to which academic training leads, uh, and for which people enter academia. Um, You only get this kind of split in the interests and tactics, let's say, of professionals and academics within the architectural discipline as a whole, when there's some sort of economic crisis that uh, makes academia unable to rely entirely on professional markets right. and suggests to academia that it itself gains some increasing autonomy or rely on alternative funding and alternative resources that right. academic institutions can offer. Uh,
1: and he's looking for funding from sources alternative to uh, the built-in vo- exactly, built exactly. developers. For example, the state, states yeah. through, for example, research institutes and yeah. uh, that Brands kind of stuff. Of various kinds,
0: yeah. So it's clear why this contradiction exists—the yeah. one that Schumacher is yeah. is pointing to. Um, but yeah, the question is—is is the the correct question is the one Doug is posing, which is, uh, is it not possible to show some kind of architectural response to political uh, problems that actually deals with the material reality of those problems? Right. Exactly. Rather than somehow avoiding that. Yeah. solutionism or that practicality right. in the name of some sort of vague experimental right. representation.
1: Yeah. Schumacher, Schumacher's point that it's a shame that you're like, let's take him at face value and pretend that he actually is not opposed to talking about the political issues in, in, in the exhibition. Taking him at face value and going through what the exhibition uh, shows, it becomes difficult not to see like, why is everything an art project about a problem? Yeah. Done by architects, instead of a, like an architectural response to the problem. Yeah. And to an extent, there's two possible answers to this. And they're probably both through at the same time. The first answer is, well, they're, because of political economic conditions are so bad, There aren't actual, uh, like, practical material solutions that would have an architecture associated with it, that are attempting to deal with these problems. Number one, so architects are stuck uh, functioning as kind of, at at best, uh, propagandists for the, for as vehicles for the problem uh, through art. Mm -hmm. Um, The second answer to the question would be that actually there are there will be instances in a developing third world global south whatever uh, we need to address the, the yeah, difference we'll address between address these, that two, terminology. these two we should have already done it um, there is uh, an actual there are some uh, responses but they don't appear here because they don't kind of count as architecture yeah like the more architectural stuff that is has buildings as a built component that is materially addressing stuff doesn't really count as architecture capital A specifically and precisely because architecture capital A has detached itself from the construction side and linked itself to the like cultural fields yeah. in such a way that it's not cultural enough If it's a a pragmatic solution to a problem, it doesn't have enough of a cultural layer to be able to be sold in an art exhibition called the Venice Biennale of Architecture.
0: This this is something that Schumacher, this is a dialectical thing that Schumacher doesn't understand, which is that since the 70s, and I guess kind of oscillating in different ways, the concept of architecture was inverted. So like a building is not architecture according to certain yeah. like autonomistic exactly, uh, disciplinary uh, conceptions. Uh, so just as you're saying, like putting a building there would not be architectural enough. Right. Putting a film there could be exactly. architectural enough. Exactly. With, within exactly. this disciplinary context.
1: And I mean, this is a kind of an ironic out- historical outcome. Um, we are constantly like ranting about the fact that architectural historiography has effectively erased everything that happened between the 1930s and the 1960s from history, right? Yeah. Like the period in architecture where possibly the most architecture was done. Yeah. uh, And it was done for, as integrated with social, economic, political projects, directed at radically improving the material conditions of living of the majority of the population of the planet. Yeah. Both in... First world welfare states, uh, second world social social planning mechanisms, or third world development uh, anti-colonial, anti-colonial or post-colonial, post-colonial development projects, states. the architecture of that period that tends to fall under the broad category of modernism. That you know, people tend to like mix a kind of a pre World War II sort of avant-garde form of it with the, like the massified production of it after the war. Uh, as being as being essentially a work continuation of one to the other, which meh, it's not really, but anyway, um, we'll come that, back to that. All of that, all of that building, was deemed not architecture enough in the 1970s. It was basically building taking over architecture. Yeah, that was that's how it was effectively perceived, and it was perceived uh, also. It is perceived as this in connection to a radical reimagination of what politics is. And when I mean radical here, I mean I mean it as a bad word. As um politics not being the uh like the realm of the uh, struggle between classes and groups of people for their own advantage against others, and in this particular period of time in which the working classes of the world were gaining. Um but politics as a kind of struggle of individuals against institutions, against a kind of centralized authority, which included the welfare state, right? So architects were f- fighting for their subjective politics, or the politics of their subjectivity, versus the impositions that the welfare state, or the socialist state, or whatever, were imposing on them as being problems that are broader than what architects want to th- just want to do inside their own little petit bourgeois hearts. Um, and this was a kind of a moment of liberation of the discipline of architecture that reimagined architectural capital A as precisely separate from satisfying the use values of the majority of the population. So it excluded buildings that existed then to invent this first era of laboratorial discursive experimentation, exactly like the one that Schumacher is now critiquing. And that functioned as a way of moving towards a new market that would enable that architecture, the architecture of the self-expression of the architect, which perceived themselves as critical, to function, and that new market was a new liberal market of this architecture of the museum, of increasing real estate values, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah.
0: yeah, this is this this is we've we've discussed this is our main yeah histori- historical. Yeah. But argument. now But the one thing I wanted to say is that this like that that uh modernist period of like 50 years or so, 40 years. Right. uh, Is really an an exception within the history of the architectural discipline and profession. Yes. Like in many ways, the return to architecture as art rather than building and exchange value rather than use value, that's basically what architecture had been like before the late 19th century. Right. Um, Like if you read uh, Alberti, he's talking about architecture as disegno. Like you're basically drawing the facade as a composition right um so in many ways it's it was a conservative in terms of uh in disciplinary terms you could read this quote-unquote radical reversal of architecture inversion of the concept of architecture as a kind of conservative return to a pre-modern focus on architecture as culture
1: and the programs that are associated and enable that concept of architecture or rather, the programs and social uses that that ideology of that ideological framework of architecture serves is an architecture that serves only the use values of the elite, of the ruling yeah. classes, which is exactly what happened under neoliberalism yeah. shifted from yeah. a universal project to a project of the moneyed class. And from
0: palaces. but to, the point to is museums. that it
1: achieved the point when it was building lots of palaces and cathedrals again. This time it were museums or whatever, but it's, it's the same thing. Um, and there were a lot of buildings, and then there was the high uh, like high income housing and uh, office buildings for the like 10, top ten or twenty percent of society. And that's who got architecture during that period. And that's enough. That's plenty of architecture the top 20% that they were getting from the 70s, 80s, particularly 80s, 90s, 2000s, right? There was a lot of buildings there. And now suddenly, that period in which architecture had buildings again, after excluding the buildings until the 60s, after becoming discursive and artistic, after having buildings again, now though that second era of having buildings again has also been excluded from architecture capital A proper, and it no longer counts. Mm. The, the period though in which buildings counted as architecture, that Schumacher was part of that, when academia and the business agreed on what was good architecture, that has now gone. So, yeah, like Schumacher is now being treated like he treated the architecture of the welfare state by the current moment. He's now excluded. He, the buildings that he associates with architecture have now been excluded from capital A architecture in favor of a new discursive uh, period.
0: Yeah. And he, in the from the quotation that I read a few minutes ago, he's specifically talking about uh, the missing architecture from... Uh, from global north countries or first world countries like the Cana- the Canadian German American British right. pavilions um, not having any architecture so he's saying like he he's saying that there's there's some sort of critique of the architectural profession within these countries right that the discipline has kind of a bad conscience about its production right. and doesn't want to show it yeah what's not clear and i guess we should also say like we're we're talking mostly around the Biennale because we didn't get to go
1: as usual. We as usual, we don't so make enough money on Patreon to go to <laughs> the Biennale,
0: so like we're not we're, we can't cover the pavilions in any in any detail. Uh, Schumacher says that he he only went basically to the to the European pavilions and then gave up after not seeing any <laughs> architecture, which I think is sounds convenient. Yes, <laughs> uh, but the question is,
1: if he did see no, the China Pavilion. He did see the Chinese pavilion. Oh, a pavilion with buildings.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, But the question is, if countries from uh, the global south are not showing buildings, is it because they're producing a critique of their domestic professional building sector? Because that's the clear context of the lack of architecture from the global north. Um, and I don't think that's the case from what I can tell. Hmm. I don't think there's, uh, there's clearly, uh, uh, an anti-colonial argument going on, but it's not aimed at, uh, the kind of mainstream building profession in the global South, the way it's aimed at that profession. Like it's not, it's, there's no Schumacher of the global South, who's the target, polemical target mm. of this critique of neoliberal architecture, right? I don't know. I guess I don't, I've only read descriptions of all the pavilions, but I haven't come across anything. Uh, I haven't come across any kind of domestic polemic coming out of any national pavilion outside the global North, mm. um, which I think is quite interesting. Because it suggests there's another level of contradiction going on here or there's different kinds of ways that politics and profession slash discipline, polemics intersect. Yeah. The only kind of domestic critique of architecture from a Global South Pavilion that I remember is the one from, uh, from Brazil that we talked about.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, which won the before prize? Before recording,
0: which won the prize. Where there's a critique of, yeah, Brazilian modernism, uh, the Brasilia.
1: I mean, at least the text describes it as being uh, a critique of the kind of the historiography of Brasilia. um,
0: It's tabula tabula rasa. The the tabula
1: rasa situation. Yeah. So Brasilia was built in the middle of nowhere, where no nothing used existed before, when in fact there used to be indigenous populations that have been displaced already by the process of colonialism. And even then, Brasilia's construction apparently radicalized that even more. Mm. Mm. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of complete. but I I don't doubt any of this and I don't doubt that the indigenous populations uh, were pushed out even more by the construction of Brasilia to some extent, I don't know. Um, But challenging the uh, establishment narrative about Brasilia um, is not to, like, say that Brasilia actually is bad. Like the establishment narrative about Brasilia is that Brasilia actually is bad. (laughs) Right, right. And it's like authoritarian and uh, like uh, all all these things, right, that are associated with uh, like totalitarian modernist planning, systematically raising political transformations. Uh, I think we should talk about a bit about Brasilia uh, in a a bit as a typical example of how this historiography of third world architecture tends to be pretty problematic.
0: Yeah, so, this difference that we've been discussing for a few minutes between how or like what the lack of architecture means in a global north context uh, as opposed to a global south context, like what the political significance of not showing building projects, right. uh, I think transitions us nicely to your, the second of your two debates around the sort of adjacent presence of the NEOM exhibition, exhibition yeah. not inside. Um, Biennale but in Venice
1: yeah I mean obviously it, it's even more funny because the Biennale is like spread all over Venice right so <laughs> not knowing it's, there's just a <laughs> Neom there's a, just a Neom exhibition that everyone thinks is part of the Biennale but isn't. right 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 yeah right um, <laughs> very clever yeah very very clever <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I mean everyone is making loads of fun of the of the uh, Neom uh, pavilion because it's kind of hilarious uh, first of all, like the first thing that people make fun of is this picture I'm showing you now. Um, like the Biennale uh, presents itself as being a kind of a decolonization Biennale that is about like bringing forth the unlistened to voices up till now, blah, yep. blah, 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 et cetera, right? And then you have like a photo of, that is being promoted by the uh, Neom exhibition of, like, the star architects that take part in the NEON project. And it's this hilarious, like, picture of, like, a couple dozen old white men in suits that everyone is going, like, just, like, the most boring, obvious representation of everything that's like wrong with the recent past of architecture, with this architecture period, yeah. yeah. Uh, Etc. David Ajay uh, was strategically excluded from this picture. And we don't know <laughs> if he decided to, to be a- of himself or if there was a, like, whatever, I don't know. But uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, and it's obviously true. Like People look at this and say, thank God that that's a goner. Right. Yeah,
0: thank God that the Biennale is showing something different. Yeah, exactly. This
1: yeah. this is what people think is architecture. Is this is what Patrick Schumacher thinks is architecture, and good riddance to that, right? right, right. And then there's like obviously the Neon project itself.
0: What, what they're actually showing in the, yes. in the exhibition.
1: And it's very funny because like you see the Neon renders up till now, and you've always seen these like seamless glass, like continuous. Block thing that just goes on forever. Right. I mean, like, so everything is very clean.
0: <clears throat> like the mirrored facade on the outside, yes. Reflecting the desert. Yes. Yeah.
1: And uh, it, it it has this like radical, clean, simple, shapy thing of the like Archizoom projects of the 1970s, 60s. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and now this exhibition shows, like, sections, slices of the thing. Like, you slice it in half and show the wonderful it's, diversity of uh, spatial experiences that you can have inside it.
0: It's basically like a, a long courtyard structure, right? Like, it's two parallel blocks.
1: That's what I
0: saw. With an interior that's incredibly complicated that's what and I, shapey, right?
1: I mean, I don't even know if this exhibition actually shows any actual... Anything that has a, a, is even remotely connected with, with what is gonna be built, or if it's just also <laughs> yeah. an art thing.
0: It's hard to tell if these shapes are are literally supposed to be building. Yes. Or if they're just kind of evocations. Yes. Of fill, fill it up with stuff.
1: Yeah. Mr. Architects. Uh and it it's this insane jumble of shapey bullshit with the most hilarious like
0: just preposterous
1: thing? Yeah, it's, it's completely insane. It doesn't look like it's anything.
0: There's like a tornado of wooden strips.
1: Yeah, with a sphere and like... It It, it looks like someone is doing uh, like alien architecture for bad sci-fi. Yeah, for sure. Shit. For sure. And then there's like these like... There's these shapy things that really look like Archigram. Like... You 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 start looking at these like but look at this schema. This schema looks archigrammy to me.
0: It's like a section elevation with yellow pods that you're seeing cross sections of. somewhere yeah. in the background, yeah. superimposed on like a grid yeah. with irregular red patches. Yeah, and then the sketch version, which is just some Dribbles. blurry lines. <laughs>
1: This one, look.
0: Yeah, there's like it's like blobs suspended in some sort of network structure.
1: Yeah, and th- first of all, we've seen this a billion times before. Like, we, we've seen these kind of drawings, mm-hmm. this kind of stuff since the 1960s. Um, This it, it is old as fuck. Um,
0: Whoa, is that like a... That looks kind of Mark Foster Gage.
1: This is a Mark Foster gauge like, thing with little, I mean, voxels. It, it's, Voxel does, architecture. it's like a
0: symmetrical digital art deco yeah. gateway. Yeah. Is it? Who's the architect? I
1: is have it? no idea. They don't identify. Oh, no, Morphosis. they do. Morphosis. Morphosis. Vision of the hidden marina. But Morphosis is just a... I guess there?
0: this Neo Art Deco thing is a, is a larger
1: trend. Studio Fuxus is, <laughs> is the one that does the archigrams. the blobs, yeah. This one at least looks like it has a stairway. Although it seems insane. that. You look at that uh, it's like
0: a stairway with big gaps.
1: <laughs> well, this looks a bit more like a... It's like a black monolith with, like, little... Two black monoliths interlinked with, the like, little shrubbery patches.
0: The whole thing is is very much... With a neon uh, the
1: blue light going on,
0: it's very much a city of the captive globe slash exodus project. It's very, it's very exodus.
1: Yeah, with um, with a lot of like Halo. Uh, yeah, it's like Halo environment. Are, yeah, in it.
0: <clears throat> it's like a coolhaas Halo crossover. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty terrible. Yeah. So obviously, everyone looks at that and. I mean, come on, this is, this is the architecture that, because of course, this is the architecture that Patrick Schumacher likes, right? Um, now, my problem with how people look at this as being like, this is the architecture of the past. This is like the last great gasp of architecture. Thank God this is gone. Thank God it's being replaced by the other thing that is in the Biennale, and I am worried. It's not at all clear to me that's what's happening.
0: It's not clear if this really is the end or if this is just a continuation.
1: My, my problem is this. Okay, let's look at, like this is the big investment in construction that is now happening in Saudi Arabia. Like this is, a re, this is real. Whether it is going to be built like this or not, to what extent it's going to be built, like everyone doubts that it's going to be built to full extent. Will there extended.
0: still be clamps on it holding little joints? In fact, there's like there's <laughs>
1: like a really a, a really funny uh, uh, like thing that Peter Cook. Uh, okay. Yeah. Said about uh, neon. for, for Yeah. For, for former Archigram, who was also of course involved in this, um, when asking uh, when asked if the uh, the the neon project is actually going to be built and finished, like, is it going to make it or not? Peter Cook responds, I'm going to give a very English answer. It's an interesting possibility. You know, I think they'll get a bit of it done. And then I think, I'm going to speak honestly now, as long as you don't cut me off, I think higher than 500 meters in height is a bit stupid and unreasonable, and all our engineer friends will tell you this. So he doesn't think it's actually going to be than as advertised. However, he him saying that possibly the structure will reach fifty meters tall. Um, he goes on to like defensively. It's saying.
0: it's supposed to be two hundred meters in height, right? That's the. Yes. That's really high. Especially when it's many. I mean, I long. I
1: think it's still debated how tall it is. No one really knows the sure. project. But anyway. Um, he, he goes on like, oh, but I'm saying it's going to reach maybe 50 meters in high. Ah, but you say, ah, but that means you don't believe it. Peter Cook, you don't believe in the line. And he says, I believe in the something. I believe it's interesting, and it will get more interesting and it becomes more incorrect. And you're left with this paper trail, a concrete trail. He believes in, <laughs> he believes in the something he recognizes it's also paper trail. So actually, the actual architecture is also not really architecture. Yeah, 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 so exactly. it's also not going to satisfy Schumacher. And then he believes in the the, 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 the the je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Which is actually what's all about, what, what, what is going on here. It's this je ne sais quoi right. of architecture as far as this lousy generation has invented it since the 1960s. Which, of course, our good friend Zach Mortis says... I believe in the something means the something is money. (laughs) 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 That's what the something is, which was of course true. It's the transition of architecture again, from use value to exchange value. That's the something that Neon represents. But obviously our problem is that this is something that is somewhat there, both for what's happening. In NEOM, and for what's happening in the Biennale, stuck as it is within the cultural industries framework, right?
0: Yeah. And from what we've seen, the sort of star architecture side of the profession clearly still exists and is in some sense uh, independent from the real estate markets of the global north. So there needs to be some sort of debate about. neocolonial architecture right around the world right and in the global south right but it's not clear that that debate is happening as part of this biennale it's not clear what the critique of neocolonial architecture is if if decolonizing just means uh challenging like epistemologies it's not clear what the what the actual profession professional polemic would be right outside of a global North context where it's a bit more straightforward. Exactly. And this is where like, we, we don't, we don't actually know apart from examples like Neom and some limited examples we know of contemporary building, like mass housing in Brazil in the, in the late 2010s. Um, we don't really know what positive architectural examples could have been shown that would meet Doug's criteria.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, again, like, we look at this exhibition about Neom that doesn't count as part of the Biennale and it's showing something that is definitely more real than that which is being shown at the Biennale, especially as if we look at the the Saudi Pavilion in the Biennale. So if this is what's being represented outside of the Biennale is somewhat more real than what is being represented in the Biennale in terms of actually, this is an actual investment in in construction that is happening um
0: the saudi the saudi pavilion just to say briefly is just like kind of a it looks like a experiments in kind of cnc systems to replicate traditional
1: architecture somehow. yeah with some like made of plastic or yeah whatever. um which funnily enough like has some relationship to what architecture in saudi arabia has been is like a the tourist sector of saudi arabia has been right. replicating like arabesque uh shapes in like mass construction of gigantic luxury hotels around Yeah
0: and town. to be honest we, I don't actually have any real problem with this. Uh, we've talked in the past about how it was fun that Ricardo Bofill found prefab ways right to to, to cheaply build neoclassical yeah. facades yeah. using concrete yeah. so yeah. I,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a secondary in principle. In principle yeah.
1: Well, yeah. But the if we know that what is actually really substantial that is happening now in Saudi Arabia is not being represented at the Biennale. What else that might be substantial going on in other countries that may not be bad, as the line yep. definitely is, might be happening in other countries and is not being represented at the Biennale because the Biennale has a culturalist uh, leaning. Yep. We know that, like at least in Brazil and Venezuela, we mm-hmm. are aware of two large public programs of public housing construction, right? Right, Uh, right. Under the Lula-Dilma period, there's the Minha Casa Minha Vida, My Home, My Life program that built like I don't know how many...
0: 2.3 mil. 2.3 mil homes. Up to 2017,
1: I think. In Brazil, uh, in Venezuela, there's also a a big public housing program that built something. I I think I remember seeing like a 3 million uh, number of homes. Um, So like these are social broad social programs large public investments these are these are like these are like the equivalent of what the line is for the neo colonial neoliberal regime of Saudi Arabia mm. in left wing governments in latin america right yeah um like that's what's happening in terms of decolonization and the national development of post colonial nations right um,
0: were those covered in a previous biennale?
1: yeah like it, if These are obviously, like, these kinds of stuff are not talked about in this Biennale. And I I was actually looking, like, the logical Biennale to cover these stuff would have been the 2016 Aravena one, obviously. Uh, Aravena doesn't do public housing. He does stuff that replaces and pretends it is public housing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's the whole, that's the the, the shtick of it. uh, Very sneaky. But at least he's in the same continent, so he would be aware, right? um i was actually looking at the pavilions of Venezuela and uh, Brazil just because it's the two programs we are aware of and uh, they do they are focused on social programs all but all of them like localized interventions uh with like yeah. emphasis on uh the cultural aspect of like local communities that are disenfranchised and kind of the cultural side of that
0: like community Community uh, programs different and, kinds. and
1: they have community programs that I'm sure are great uh, yeah. like localized interventions that actually have an architecture so it, it, like yeah. at, at least that but it's already uh, like you can see that it's already going into the like um, presentation of like forms of life of marginalized communities as opposed to a kind of the solutionism. Yeah, that yeah. obviously the mass programs that existed already the, at the time that yeah. aren't represented in the Biennales of those year of that year. Um, yeah, and
0: I'm sure that those mass programs wouldn't be considered architectural enough. Yeah, Because exactly. they're not the that's not where the experimentation exactly.
1: uh, is happening. Exactly. Yeah. And again, I'm sure that there's, there's going to be like left radical critiques and even like valid critiques of the element of these programs. The mass uh, programs, uh, yeah. Or, yeah, et I, I'm sure that there's going to be stuff there to, to critique. But that's, that's, that's where the substantial investment is mm. in actually increasing material conditions of life of yeah. the population, of elevating uh, the poor and the working class of, of third world nations. And these kinds of development programs are similar to what was historically uh, during the third world movement era, yeah. the kind of attempts... That post-colonial nations developed to, like, improve the conditions of their population, and in in connection with the logics of accelerated development, right? So that's yeah, and uh,
0: breaking f- breaking free from dependence
1: on the on from, the yeah, exactly, colonial on a neo-colonial economy, yeah, yeah. global economy.
0: Yeah, and since uh, since twenty sixteen, I mean, this process has has taken on a a really. Uh, prominent new form with kind of the rise of multipolarity in the yeah. world. Like we're we're watching the decline of Western colonial imperial dominance and, and global hegemony right now.
1: Yeah, like in like every day in real yeah. time. It's in like real time. so. Like, what
0: does that look like architecturally? What does that mean on the ground in cities yeah. around the world? Yeah, uh, it's
1: it's kind of crazy to me how there is like a big public thing, mass, massive institutional thing yeah. about the th- centered on the topic of decolonization yeah. that does not touch upon the very real political yeah, exactly. economic uh, developments that are happening right now yeah. with an accelerated process of like de-dollarization of international finance yeah. and, uh, and international trade um with the new
0: diplomatic uh, roles Yeah for, completely for re- rearranging
1: like the yeah. the the expansion of BRICS yeah uh, like the resuscitation of BRICS first after the Lula uh, victory in Brazil and the expansion of BRICS now to become, like basically yeah like i don't know how many countries it's going it, to it they're already lined up but it's like 20 countries at this point yeah um yeah. BRICS just the five BRICS Already representing a larger share of the world economy and a much larger share of the world population than the G seven, yeah,
0: yeah. This is like this is yeah. This this process, this real material global process of decolonization, could that be represented somehow in a biennale? Like that would be nice. So this basically gets us to our second major topic of this omnibus episode, uh, which is more historical. We're going to tie it back to the present and to these contemporary yeah. changes. Yeah, Reflecting we... on the Biennale. But uh, yeah, to, to really look back on what the history of architecture and building was in the third world movement, uh, in the global south, as we call it now, um, and try to understand what roles architecture has played in post-colonial development uh, and in these major political socioeconomic transformations.
1: Yeah, we are we are in the cusp of a new third world movement. Uh, yeah, of some
0: kind. Yeah,
1: and uh, of a, a new non-aligned movement. People talk about that. Yeah. Uh, around this term, uh, multipolarity or pluripolarity. Um, maybe it would be important to revisit historically what was the architecture of the yeah. first third world movement. What is the architectural expression of the actual anti-colonial struggle, yeah, uh, as it was victorious.
0: So we'll be back next week with uh, with that.
1: Yeah, see you then. See you then.